Welcome to Concerning the Spiritual in Art, a podcast exploring spirituality, consciousness, and the creative process. I'm your host, Martin Benson. All right, y'all, welcome back to the podcast. I have an incredibly special episode for you today with visual artist Katie Niewodowski. And man, this conversation we had was just mind-blowing. We went to so many places, not only talking about her, her amazing art practice and her experience working with sacred geometry and the flower of life and how to sort of create a balance between using these geometric structures with more organic, intuitive uh, forms in her work and how she's sort of grappling with that and dealing with that in her studio. But we also uh, related a lot around uh, yoga practice and meditation. Both of us are yoga teachers. And so we really talked a lot about spiritual practice, not only the sort of nitty gritty of, of those practices themselves, but the relationship that those practices have to the modern world and how we're living a very special time where we need to figure out sort of the way to integrate these ancient wisdom traditions with modern life and what that looks like. Um, we also talked a lot about technology and its relationship to sort of how we're evolving as a culture and how we need to counterbalance some of the darker components to our technological advances with more practical connection to the material world, being in nature, more connected to the elements, working with more analog materials, uh, being outside of our phone and outside of screens and working in the studio with actual material itself and how important that can be to balance the technological exposure we have on a daily basis. Um, we also touched upon the importance of community and how community is really what life is all about and what we need to continue to cultivate and create in these very divisive times. And so there's just so many amazing thoughts and insights that were shared. And we just had such a powerful conversation. And I think you all are going to just absolutely love it. Um, so here you go, Katie Niewodowski. All right, Katie, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Martin. Thank you so much. I've been really excited to have this conversation. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed just our initial phone call, you know, off record where we just kind of got to know each other. And I felt like you and I were really resonating on so many ideas and so many topics. And looking at this gorgeous painting behind you, I can't yeah. help but to to see like the flower of life and how you utilize sacred geometry within a lot of the compositions or structures and imagery within your work. And that's something that I've been like deeply interested in and just fascinated by for a long time. And so I think figured that would be like a cool way for us to kind of get this, get the ball rolling today. And I, I'm curious sort of like how you got into utilizing sacred geometry, discovering it, like what it kind of means to you and sort of how, how it plays a part in your process as an artist. Yeah, so my work has, the thing that has most interested me always is connection. And so for a long time, I was working with the ideas of micro and macro and the way different patterns in the universe are kind of connecting us, our bodies, you know, everything in nature. Mm -hmm. And I, I saw some of these diagrams. I was working with the idea of, this, of cellular structures for a long yeah. time. And I saw these diagrams of how the flower of life is very much like life itself, like the, <laughs> the cell and the egg, like reproducing and creating this beautiful form. And so that was really inspiring to me. And so the using the actual ge geometry in the work is a somewhat newer kind of development over the last couple of years. 
but um, the idea of the cell I've been working for with for a really long time. And so mm -hmm. it's like kind of a structural way of putting that together. And even now I'm kind of like still working with the tension of like how to keep the organic as well as the geometric and like yeah. how to uh, like dance with those binaries. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it is so fascinating. Like how like the flower of life and the, for those out there that aren't familiar with the flower of life, it's a really like ancient diagram. I mean, Da Vinci was playing with it, but we can see examples of it being utilized in cultures across the globe, across time. Um, and so it is really interesting how it's like a two dimensional representation of like cellular mitosis of like how right. cells split. And yeah. so like, when you look at like how an egg splits, you know, after it's been, um, after it, what's the word I'm looking for? It's fertilized. Been fertilized or germinated, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It yeah. splits and it splits in this exact form. And it's just so fascinating. And from it, you get this incredible matrix essentially that you can create all kinds of forms out of as well. But I think it's so beautiful the way that you are sort of like playing with this tension of like the geometric and the organic because they kind of they are united, they are like one thing, the kind of almost two aspects or expressions of it in some way. And right. so like, how do you approach like doing that in terms of like building out your composition? Like I'm just looking at the painting behind you and I just see, I see the flower of life pattern kind of like over your, I guess would be your right shoulder, yeah. um, kind of building out in that space. But then you see these beautiful sort of undulating like wave patterns that are kind of more organic, kind of enveloping that space on top of it. Like, are you like, having any sort of like formal sense of composition or are you just kind of intuiting it as you piece these things together? Well, for a while when the, when I started to become interested in the geometries, the work went much more just kind of uh, geometric for a little while as I was familiarizing myself with those shapes and how they work and the elegance of how to put them together, how to build mm -hmm. them, like, you know, equilaterally and, yeah. um, all of that. So I had to kind of go there first, but there's a certain, you know, prior to that, I was making a lot of work that was more like um, call and response or like create a move and then respond to that move. And there's so much experimentation in that, yeah. that I absolutely adore and live for. And like, that's what really like gets those kind of creative juices flowing for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what I found with the geometry is like, as elegant as it was, it was like a little constricting you know mm -hmm. like so it's like now I've got to stay with the you know like color within the line so to speak <laughs> and, like, because it's like these forms yeah these forms and so I like I started to really like over the last year think I would love to figure out a way to like kind of can they both coexist like mm -hmm. visually you know can I yeah work and so with this most recent painting I started with you know just like doing some pores on the canvas and adding water and allowing those shapes to kind of emerge. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, and then I responded to that to see where, you know, like how can I fit the geometry into yeah. that? How can I get it to balance, you know, both in terms of, you know, composition as well as contrast, because it's yeah. like you introduce geometry and it's like, bam, that's, yeah. you know, it's, it's powerful. Definitely. So it's like, how can both of these things mm -hmm. work together and find that dance? And so this was the first painting where I really started to feel like, okay, 
now now I'm kind of grooving with it. Yeah, that's so exciting, Katie. Oh my God, it's so exciting when you kind of like crack the code a little bit and figure out sort of like how, because what a lot of people out there, I mean, artists all know this, but people who maybe aren't like committed to any sort of creative practice, like it is a lot of just problem solving and a lot of visual problem solving, a lot of experimentation. And, and then once you kind of figure out some of those quirks about it, then you just like can let go and trust your intuition and play and flow once you've kind of figured out how to do it. And I think if this is the first one that you've kind of opened up, I can't wait to see sort of like how it unfolds and evolves, because I do think that this relationship between that organic expressive sort of earthly quality that comes through um, is such an amazing balance to the structure of the geometry because I mean that's really how I guess it kind of plays out in the cosmos there is this underlying like mathematical structure there is the sense of proportion relationship we think about just even like Fibonacci numbers and the spiral we think also about you know the flower of life but from those structures even like molecular structures which are very specific then we get like the sort of undulating patterns of the way water sort of flows through wetlands or the way that uh, sort of mushrooms kind of grow on a tree or whatever. It's There's this organic, almost seemingly kind of playful, creative process that happens, but underneath it, it's grounded in the very specific structure and a very specific sort of design, so to speak. When I first discovered sacred geometry, it just like blew my mind because it does point to this fact of like, there is an interrelatedness to all of life and there is there is some kind of coherence underneath the surface of what seems incoherent or what seems chaotic there is a structure there it's mysterious as all hell but like it's definitely there and we can see it through geometry and math and right. so i find that to be just a really rich area to investigate not only as an individual human being but as an artist specifically because we're dealing with these visual forms all the time Right. That's what I was going to say, especially as an artist. It's like this kind of original creation or this creation that continues to happen and expand in our universe. It's it's um, it's so inspiring because, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you you are this little creator yourself and trying to, like, you know, find ways to structure this stuff. Yeah. Exciting. It is amazing. It's like the old alchemical saying, like as above, so below, as within, so without, like the micro, macro, like everything is a fractal, like self-referential sort of explosive creative force of life. And it's just, it's in everywhere we, everywhere we look, everything we see, it's just all around us all the time. And I think sometimes that's part of what the role of an artist is, is, is to point out these things that we can totally overlook or totally like, you know, just pass off as being insignificant and be like, no, look at this. This is like, this is the whole web of life right here. That's like right. weaving all of us. We are all a connected entity. That's like one thing, like almost like one sort of ecosystem. And we're all just kind of playing a part in like holding up the homeostasis in some way. Totally. There is no better like feeling than if like a friend or somebody sends me some picture of something that was happening in nature and says like, oh, this reminds me of your art because mm-hmm. it's like if I can point one person back mm-hmm. to that, like what's happening mm-hmm. outside, it's, um, you know, then it, that's a success in my mind. For sure. For sure. Because we, I think our culture is so keen on, on like creating a sense of like 
banality and like things can be so mundane or things can feel be feeling kind of insignificant. And I think what we, part of our role, I guess, as artists, as creatives is to sort of initiate people back into that curiosity and that sense of wonder and that sense of like questioning in a, in a feeling of like, awe, kind of questioning, but not like questioning in a state of fear or a state of like resistance, but a questioning, like, what is this place? Like, what are we doing here? Like in a, in a really beautiful, almost childlike way, yeah. it's so easy to get like caught up and just like just the practicalities of everyday living and forget yeah. that we we're spinning on a rock in the <laughs> middle of infinite space where all this beauty is surrounding us all the time. And there's so much mystery enveloping everything we do and look at, we can't forget it because it's right. so, so in some paradox, it's so easily forgotten, even though it's the most majestic, magical thing you could ever imagine. You know, it's, it's yeah. mind blowing where we are. Yeah. And for myself, for my own process to like continuously be right, you know, cause we got to do the jobs and the yeah. this and that. And it's like to get into that place. It's like, mm -hmm. there's no, there's no greater like yeah. moment, space to tap into. For sure. And you were mentioning, you know, before we got online, how you like, you had a really wonderful start to your day doing some yoga and meditation and like, and I think this is something you and I both connect on because I think we both have done teacher training and our yoga teachers as well and like really diving into that practice. And I find that to be such a, a, a deep well of inspiration for me to be able to like turn the light of consciousness inward and really do that inward journeying to not only like cultivate connection and openness and understanding of our own sense of self, but like then pulling that out and bringing that into relationship with all the things that we do. I'm curious how you began that part of your journey in terms of self-inquiry, spiritual practice, yoga, meditation, like where did that begin for you? Yeah, I, I think that I've always been a seeker of, of some kind. I was, um, I grew up in Florida in a very conservative Catholic family. And I just always found there were little, you know, cosmic breadcrumbs along the road of like things that I was like, okay, this is truth. This feels like truth. And, um, you know, it like in, in personal struggles that I've gone to through in 2007, I started doing yoga, hot yoga on a regular basis. And it changed my life. I was like, it's, it was the first time I had the monkey mind, you know, it's like, I had no idea just how spun out the mind could be and was oh until I started to do this practice. And I would remember like driving home from one of those classes and I'd be like, oh my gosh, my hands are on the steering wheel. Like I'm here. And it was, it was such a powerful experience. And mm -hmm. so then, you know, so then I started doing that every day and I'm like, if I'm still doing this in a year, I'm going to go to teacher training. And I did, and I'm, I'm still teaching. I'm teaching a class later today. Wow. Um, but it's also like, even within that practice, the message, kind of the lesson that I keep getting over and over again is like, anything can become an attachment, mm -hmm. you know, like even asana, even yes. yoga practice. And so it's like, I, my practice now is like a gentler form of yoga, a, kind of like allowing the day to, to determine like, what is the practice of the day going to be? Mm -hmm ways to go inside but it's like you said it's all about connecting to the inside because I think it's very easy for us to suddenly like 
confuse this kind of outward thing like a yoga class or a church or whatever it may be with the thing itself and Mm -hmm. it's it's here like you don't you can be sitting in your car you can be washing the dishes and connect with that place and so I kind of feel like my my life journey has been that lesson coming up over (laughs) over again to not get too attached to any one thing and just Mm -hmm. You know, my big practice these days is journaling. Cool. Yeah. Every single night. I don't, it's like Julia, Julie Cameron was right about that writing. It's like, I, I don't miss, I don't do it in the morning, but I don't miss a single night. It's just, but, but for that very reason of there's something that happens where it helps me to tap into myself, my own wisdom. It's like, that's what people, you know, it's like, you have it. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like that's what uh, a lot of these structures, capitalism, patriarchy is afraid of. It's like us mm-hmm. getting that power. Yeah. You know? Oh my God. That's so many amazing little nuggets you threw out there that are just like totally resonating with, especially this idea of like, it's so interesting. Like as you start, like, especially like a yoga practice, like in a serious, like committed way, you can get very intense about it and very militaristic about it. Um, and almost like you don't have any like wiggle room for flexibility. It's like, you got to do it this way, this time, this day, every day like this. And as you, and it's so funny, a lot of like teachers that I know yoga teachers or people practicing for decades or longer, they start to always come to this more gentle, gentler place. Like for me, like when I came across, like, I, I definitely still do a lot of like more, what we might be called like a young style, like asana, like more vigorous physical uh, practice, but not nearly as much as I used to. Yin yoga is like my safe haven. Like, yeah, I love the restorative. I love the slowing down. I love the really the savoring um, part of those practices because it is important to always strike that sort of balance. Just like we were talking about with your paintings, like right, like trying to find this balance of these sort of different sort of dichotomies that are really united. They work together, but when you get too committed or too attached to one over the other that's where you start to shift the balance um, within. And so always being conscious of that. And attachment is like, that is the game essentially in my mind is like always figuring out and noticing where you're attached to, attached to like a sense of who you think you are, attached to like what your opinions are, attached to what you created, attached to uh, the roles that you play in your life, attached to like a certain outcome that you're really like driving for, like, the letting go is really the the practice in my mind is learning how to like let go and to trust and to like move with more effortlessness through the world. And then with painting, I feel like it's a struggle there too of attachment all the time. I find that in my own practice, like attached to a certain way of working, attached to a certain quality of imagery or color. And it's that's probably one of the hardest places for me to let go is within painting because I feel like I'm doing something so interesting, but I also can feel that I'm like, I can feel the the fetters, you know, I can feel them right. come in. Yeah. It's a, th- that attachment within the, the art studio is like a really, it's a killer of creativity because I feel like my job and like kind of connected to something you were saying earlier about play is to continuously get into a place where the experimentation is still alive. And that's a scary place mm-hmm. in making because it's like, 
yeah, you don't know that this move or that thing is going to look good, but if you don't take those kind of risks in the practice and keep the play alive, it, it yeah. dies. This it is, it's, you know, magic. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. And I feel like I go through stages personally, like where I'm doing a lot more experimenting playing. And then I like figure out something and then I'm just like kind of executing and creating and producing. And then I get this like stagnation that comes up and then I'm like, okay, I have to switch something up. I have to switch my materials. I have to switch my scale. I have to maybe like totally like not do a circle. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you have to like almost like in a structured way, like limit yourself from what you were doing to open up a doorway to somewhere else. But it is, you're right. It is a scary place to be, especially as you become more developed as an artist and you have a certain style or a certain way of working that everybody's responding to, responding to really well. And, you know, like they're expecting you to continue to like kind of pop those things out over and over again. And I find that that is a really tricky territory for a lot of artists to get into, especially as you become more uh, successful or commercially viable, people are looking for your signature thing. And then sometimes you see artists where they just paint the same thing forever. And for some, maybe that is all you need to do, but I find that it kind of can suck the life out of the play and the creativity. And so something I personally struggle with that I'm always trying to like find ways to cultivate opportunities for more play and experimentation in the studio. Absolutely. It is. And, you know, as you said, it's like, it is still important also to like, once you've kind of found like a groovy place to like, hang out, like do that thing. For yeah, a while. Exactly. That's all right. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like trusting the inside, you know, yeah. when it's, it's time to kind of change, but I imagine it, it, it does become a lot harder when people have a certain expectation of you to produce a certain type of thing. Mm-hmm able to hold into that 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 gets complicated it does Um, especially if like you do something well I also do portraits and I was doing that for a long time like different types and it's like you know when I started to go a little bit more abstract I felt like a disappointment (laughs) in a way from people (laughs) like but you do that so well like what you know And so it's like, I, I find a balance. I still like work those in, um, in another practice in a way, but it's like, I, you know, that's that same kind of message lesson that keeps coming up is like, I don't want to be beholden to anyone else's expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The art to be. Yeah. It's so, yeah, it is such a tricky place to be, especially depending on where you are in your like life and your career, because there's so many practical sides to living too. But like at the end of the day, like I always have to like dig deep and really remember like why it is I'm doing this in the first place. And I, I find that like my art practice is an extension of, of all my spiritual practices. Like there's not a separation between the two. I hold them in the same sort of degree of reverie and sacredness and treat them as such. And so being aware that like when you're in the studio, it's, it's similar to me as when I'm sitting on my cushion meditating and that like, I have to really continually to dedicate myself to this process, to this practice and really be there even when I feel like I don't want to be. And that's, uh, that's like one of the biggest things I think we can come up against, not even as artists, but as humans is, is that inner resistance, this voice in our mind that just says like, you cannot do that today. You can do this instead, or you can go there. And it's tricky because sometimes you do want to listen to that, but then other times it can kind of like 
get you out of like your discipline in some ways. Like, and I find that to be a tricky thing as well. Do you ever deal with that too? Like this part, this sort of like inner resistance in relation to like your spiritual practice or relation to your art practice that you always have to like be conscious of and try to like reset? Oh my gosh, of course. Yeah, that's like the shadow side of the inner child, right? It's like, I want to tap into the the play and the experimentation and keep that alive. But the, the shadow side of that is like a little temper tantrum kind of kid mm-hmm. digging her heels in and not in resisting change. Yes. Yeah. Full life, I, you know? I know. Yeah. But we have to, we have to integrate the shadow side. And I think that's something that uh, collectively that we're dealing with, I think right now as a whole planet, it seems is like the shadow side of the collective consciousness has manifested through all these different individuals and forms and political systems and controversy. And it's forcing us to really have to grapple with the shadow. And I think that is such an important part of healing is right. being able to integrate the shadow side of our consciousness um, into, uh, into the whole, like bring it back into the fold. It's such a, it's such a difficult experience. I feel like life is, and everyone can relate. I mean, like the Buddha said, like life, life has suffering in it. Like it's just inevitable. Like it's just, it's inevitable. It's par for the course here on planet earth. I don't care who you are, where you come from, what you look like. Everyone's going to have their degree of strife and difficulty, but like, it is the rich, soil in which we can grow beautiful things but sometimes i feel like it can be really hard to recognize that component of the shadow side and i think artists in in a lot of ways can be the ones to help facilitate that process of of integration and growth um through that not all artists work in that way um in terms of like kind of revealing the shadow sides and helping us grapple and integrate them but i think that is an important component to spiritual practice just you and i both being really aligned in that we've kind of been on a similar path spiritually in terms of certain practices and modalities that we bring into our lives like that's something i see a lot happen in the yoga community is is the, the what a lot of people are terming like spiritual bypassing oh, right yeah. that was what was going through my head it's so yeah. it's like you can't skip past it you can't mm-hmm. jump to the top of the ladder you've got to you know you do you have to integrate the shadow and go through all of that and that is a process that takes yeah. time not like yeah. you just get to go to love and light or even mm-hmm. stay in love and light if you ever get there it's, yeah you know, like these myths of Persephone, um, you know, in the changing of the seasons every year, I really in recent years, like, started tuning in and, and honoring that kind of turning of the wheel. And that that's what that's all about. It's like, yeah, yeah for death, there's a time for going inside, going under, going into like the you know, the darker places. And then there's the time for emerging and coming out. And it's like, it's in nature. All we have yeah. to do continue to keep looking back to nature mm. to see that. Um, yeah. I know the, I mean, nature is the greatest teacher. I mean, you could sit in your backyard, your garden, or go to a park and you can just have no agenda, but just to observe the changing world around you. And you're going to get the most immense lessons and wisdom you could ever really get from a book. You could, you know, if you're really paying attention, if you're really there centering and observing the constant flux of life, this sort of impermanent nature of, of reality all around us, like back into the point of like the shadow or the suffering that happens, like the grace within the suffering is that it does pass and it does leave behind opportunities for 
cultivating a greater sense of perspective of wisdom. Uh, really for me, what my personal suffering that I've gone through in my life has really shown me this higher level of compassion towards others. Like it's just, it's the biggest lesson in compassion, not only compassion for myself, but for the world, but like the, the lesson of impermanence is such a beautiful one for me. For some, it can be very scary. This idea that nothing stays the same and things change all the time. But for me, that's like where the freshness is, right? Like that's where the play is. That's where the possibility lies in this experience that is impermanence, um, that is really colors our whole, whole sort of path of life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, to your point, it's like the, the moments in my life that I've had, like that the suffering has kind of overcome me has, have been those moments when it's like this, I think I'm convinced this is the way it is now. This is, you know, this is what it's going to be like forever. Right. Gaining that understanding of constant impermanence and change. It's like, that's a gift. It is. It's it is such a gift because back to what we were talking about earlier with attachment, right? You can't be, a, that's why attachment doesn't work. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's what, yeah. Because you is, can't, even if you try, even if, you know, like the, you, you wanted to do that. It's like, it's, yep. it's not going to happen. It's going to change you whatever you're holding your on to. <laughs> exactly. Whatever you're holding on to one way, shape or form, it's going to, it's going to evolve. It's, sense and it's going to change and this is just the nature of of reality the way that things just go i love one of my favorite meditative practices is to just sit and use like listening as an experience of impermanence and then just note all the sounds happening around me like all the different data points of sound that that come into my consciousness and just noticing how many subtle different sounds there are constantly percolating and changing every single moment and it's like, ah, there it is. There it is right there. There's impermanence. It's constantly there with us. So it, it, and it's sort of, sort of a paradoxical way. It's like the only, you know, the whole cliche, the only constant is change. It's kind of true. I mean, as far as I've, I've can grasp in this particular lifetime, and I do find it to be a place of refuge for me. And also in relation to the attachments in the studio as well, like, Whatever it is I'm working on this year or, you know, today or, you know, within the next couple of years, like I won't be working on that again, hopefully in a few years from now or 10 years from now, like things are going to evolve. And I think that's something we can like, we can put, we can put our chips into, you know what I mean? Like things will change. And I think it's a beautiful lesson. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, Octavia Butler says, God is change. And it's like, I always like some, something about that was always like, yeah, that seems right. But I've been meditating on that a lot lately. And it's like, okay, if even this notion of a higher power, God is change itself. It's like that, that's mind blowing. You Mm -hmm. know, that means like every, that means our conception of whatever that higher power is needs to continue to change. We need to continue to change. Yeah really gives us permission I feel like to relax into the moment because like you said it's like you know in your studio you're working on this thing you might you won't be in like three years so yeah yeah so then that's what that whole like be in the present moment thing is about because that that's it you might as well it's going to change exactly this (laughs) is where life happens like you were saying like when you went when you were driving home from your yoga class and you could just feel your hands 
you could actually just be in your car driving, right. not in your head. Yes. And I think that's some that is the biggest revelation of the, I feel like these kinds of practices is the incessant sort of like blabbering inside your head, like the constant judging, the constant critiquing, the constant, you know, calculating and the these narratives and stories and fantasies and ruminations, like all these things happening inside. And it's like when you start to like investigate the thought forms of your own mind, you realize that they are just like empty of any sort of concrete reality. There are these sort of like almost like apparitions or these hallucinations of some kind. Yeah, it's it's lunacy. It is. It is. I mean, they have use, like there are certain thoughts like they have use. I think a big, a big like point in my practice that like really helped transform things moving forward. There was like a crux point where I, I realized that like, I can observe my thoughts outside of being, being in them. And I have the power to choose which thoughts I want to implement into my life and which right. ones I don't like right. every thought that cross paths your mind doesn't mean you, that's who you are. Or that's what you need to do. Like there is a choice point and there is a spaciousness that you can kind of cultivate between what I guess would be this, the awareness or the, the sort of pristine, clear consciousness and the thought forms themselves. And that was a big game changer to see, to be able to cultivate an awareness of that space between those two components. It empowered me a lot to not be such a, um, to not be so, um, so victimized by my own thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I try to tell my students and remind myself over and over and over again throughout the day is that meditation, the practice of life is not like emptying our mind of thoughts. It's just taking that one little step back, mm-hmm. just one step back and becoming the observer of them instead of the, you know, completely taken over and buying into, like you said, the illusion, mm-hmm. whatever that, that monkey mind chatter is. And I yeah. have, you know, like gone through many, many years in my life where I really suffered listening mm-hmm. to criticism inside mm-hmm. um, and it's been it's been part of my art practice to let all of that go yeah yeah so like utilize the the you know it's like the good criticisms and the you know kind of the um the mentality of like which way this is going to go it's not yeah be reform but um yeah like which thoughts are useful for you in this moment right, right. now for real? Like which ones for real are useful? Right. And which ones are a bunch of BS? And being able to parse that out and not be uh, um, attached to the, yeah. <laughs> to, to the negative thought forms and, and try to like mistake them for who you are. I think that's the biggest difference sometimes when you when you begin this process is you start to shift your identity away from the thoughts themselves. Because a lot of times like, we can be in it because I used to do this and I still see this happening in my mind, even, you know, 15 years later, deep in practice, like I still see this happening in my mind where I'm equating like a certain thought to be the reality of who I am. I'm like saying like, oh, this thought is who I am. Right. But then you, then you, you, you just laugh at yourself. You're like, duh, it's not, it's just this form, just like a bird, you know, flying through the sky. Like it's there, but it's not yeah. like, there's nothing I need to do with it. It's just existent. Um, it doesn't mean I have to like believe it or recognize it and utilize it. But like 
being able to not identify with those thoughts as a sense of who you are, like to not equate the a, a quality of thoughts that go through your mind with the quality of your beingness or your, your, your human nature. Um, Cause I think that's something people struggle with too, is that we have these really negative thoughts or mean thoughts, evil thoughts, dark thoughts. And yeah. they think that they're evil and dark. Like, yeah. no, like these are just, these are just forms of thoughts. Like if you, when you don't attach to those things, you recognize that that is not who you are. And that, that to me is a, is a very like liberating moment um, when you can recognize that. Absolutely. And it's really like part of understanding that for me, it's been really integral to, to get at, well, where are some of these thoughts coming from? And look at that. Like, it's like that, you know, I was born into this world, just pure consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's like, we have taken on all of that society, you know, family, just, it's like, it's been programmed into our nervous systems of our lives. And so it's been so important for me. And that's part of what the journaling practice is, is to like separate that stuff out. It's like, okay, that didn't come from me. Mm-hmm. This came from this or that. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to really, I'm going to put that in the fire now, you know? And yes. I'll- yeah. Because be- yes, exactly. Because we are like, we do absorb so much consciously and unconsciously throughout our whole life. And there are certain thoughts, certain things that people have said to us, like in childhood or certain things that we said like, oh, I guess that is who I am. Or like, oh, you're really good at that. Or you're really not good at that. And then you start to identify what other people are telling you about yourself as being true about who you are. And it's really, I think the process of, of maturation in my mind is the process of dismantling these frameworks and these concepts and these programs that were not ours in the first place it's so interesting like we do come into this world pure consciousness like i think about like my son when he was born like he's just like the most pure open uh, you know loving peaceful perfect little being right now who has very like base needs but like i always like try to imagine like what life is like through his eyes without any sort of framework or concepts around reality and then over time i i it's like almost it's like i'm having i'm giving him the karma that he's going to have to work with later and everyone else around him. It's such a weird process. And we all, and we all have to, you it's know, so weird. Like, I it's... imagine that's difficult as a parent to not be able to protect them from yeah. that. It's like, no, that's, that's part of the human journey. <laughs> it is. It's part of it. It's like, it's, it's such a weird situation. It's like, we are, we have to take on all this crap so that we can learn how to let it all go. Right. And that's like almost like the school of the human life. Um, I really love uh, Ram Dass and like his teachings and the way that he sort of like really distilled Eastern wisdom traditions in like in sort of ways that us in the West can really understand and grapple. And I always love this sort of analogy that he creates around the idea of like Earth being a school and everyone's on a different curriculum and we're all getting a certain curriculum and like your job is not to do someone else's curriculum. Your job is to do your own curriculum. Um, And I think that's a tricky part as well of this process is when you start to unfold and expand your consciousness, open your heart and really like connect to this wider and wider relationship with reality. You want to scream it from a mountaintop. You want to get everybody to go to the yoga class. You want everybody to meditate. You want everybody to do this. It's like, I remember the, you know, the first like, especially the first like five or six years of being like really deeply committed, like I would annoy the shit out of people because I would think that they should be doing all this stuff. And I would be like, Oh, you got to try this, try that, do this, do that. And they're like, no, 
you got to realize that you're ready when you're ready. And like you, you can't force these things into people's lives, but they are powerful, amazing things. But it's like when you try to get someone to go and take that curriculum when they're not ready, it does the opposite effect of what you're wanting. Right. I did the same thing. I've been guilty of that same kind of shouting it from the mountaintops. Yeah. And, you know, likewise, it's been really important for me as well to, um, you know, when you find truth or you find a teacher, you find a community of people that, you know, it's like it's it's healing, it's wisdom. But I, you don't have to take all of it for exactly. yourself. Like that's not necessarily all for you. And that's that scary place again of being able to go inside and really listen to yourself and mm -hmm. trust yourself. And that I feel like is such, because it was very, you know, like with the yoga or like other spiritual practices I do, it's been very tempting to want to like, you know, like force myself into certain models where it's like the scarier thing is to be like, okay, you know, and that's what meditation does or the journaling is like, makes you kind of go back inside and be like, yeah, but what do you, what do you need? You know, exactly. Like, uh, it, what is your truth? And mm -hmm. nobody else, like we all have, like you said, we all have our own mm -hmm. and we all have to go on that journey by ourselves. Yeah. I love what you were mentioning earlier. Um, I forget who it was who said it about like God being change, like God yeah. is change. And this is such a, a fascinating concept, like this sort of evolutionary principle that's encoded in life, like things are, are designed to grow and bloom and expand and, and sort of like take another step in consciousness or expression in some way. And I think that right now we're in such an interesting moment because we have these, we have so much access to so many traditions of spiritual practice, so many lineages of ancient wisdom. And it's an amazing time because you can be, you can be able to learn things that you, you know, if you were born a hundred years ago or 200 years ago, where you were born, you know, in this life, you know, in Florida or whatever, you might have ever seen a book on yoga, ever heard of anything like this. You were kind of stuck within whatever framework you were brought up in. But now we live in this time of such cross pollination and such a, a breadth of access to these practices and this knowledge base. And so that, although it's incredible, I mean, I, I'm just grateful every single moment of my life that I've had access to learning these ideas and exploring them and practicing them. However, it's like, we have to also be careful because these things are going to continue to evolve. So like, what does, what does spirituality look like moving into the 21st century? Right. And how it's not going to look like it looked in the, you know, ancient, you know, Western China uh, yeah. 500 years ago and, you know, or in India 3000 years ago, it's not going to look that way. It's going to be something new. It's going to change. It's going to be yeah. a new evolution of spiritual consciousness. And so it's a very exciting time. And so I think your just your point of like, you don't have to take everything is such a important one because I, I, I was like this in the beginning and I see people get this way too. It's like where you just want to like, and it's for some people that's their curriculum. So I don't want to negate it because some people that is the path that is their karma. That's what they have to do in terms of following a strict lineage, a very strict process. Like for example, like uh, certain people who are into like Ashtanga yoga and sure. like a very traditional form of Ashtanga yoga, like there's everything is very much, the path is pretty much laid out for you. And you have to really follow that to a T. 
Um, or like if you want to be a monk and go into like uh, a Zen Buddhist tradition or Tibetan Buddhist tradition or what have you, a certain lineage and approach and respect to tradition you have to have. But for a lot of us, that's probably not going to be our path. But we're still going to be able to to glean the wisdom and the practices and integrate it into the modern world. And I think that's this tricky place we're in right now is right. like, how do we cultivate a, a real connection and respect for tradition and spiritual practice while at the same time allowing it to evolve with the time so it can integrate with our culture in a holistic, healthy way so that it can continue to spread its boons and its beauty and its love. And that's a big question that I have. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think that is very important that we don't like throw out the baby with the bathwater. Exactly. Process. But it is, I mean, we can't even, our, our brains can't even comprehend right now. It's like where, where we're going, things are changing so fast. It's like, I was, you mentioned Ram Das and the access to everything, you know, I was, in high school, there still wasn't really the internet. And so I, someone had given me be here now. And I'm like, what is this? What? You know, I'm looking through this like girl in Florida and I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I dig it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, this is something that's great. And so it's like those little nuggets along the way that have kind of, you know, formed this path little hero's journey spirituality <laughs> <laughs> exactly. that I've been on, um, yes. you know, and then that access it has expanded so much. I bring that up because it's like, I'm just looking at even, you know, AI with like all the digital, it's like that just hit and now yeah. it's already changed so much. I'm like, I don't think we can actually, I don't think our brains can keep up. I know that's happening. It's happening so fast. It is. It is. It makes me think of, um, are you aware of who Terrence McKenna was? Um, he was like a sort of a very, he's a very like cultural figure uh, now. Like you can find a lot of his talks and stuff. He was a kind of a psychedelic uh, psychonaut Renaissance man from like the seventies and the eighties. And like, he was really interested in like, sort of like the future futurism and where technology is going to take us, but really connected with like, sacred practice in relation to psychedelics and he talked about he theorized this notion of like uh how the universe is always trying to create novelty like continuous form of novelty and it's just going to become increasingly increasingly more novel until it gets to some sort of like choice point where everything just kind of like explodes into oneness and right. uh so i feel like everything he talked about like we are kind of seeing right now in terms of the novelty of like ai right and like what the implications of something like that has not only for society for art for everything right. you know like as teachers like we've been talking about ai because like what do we do when like kids can just get an essay <laughs> written by them on chat chat gpt or they can create incredibly fantasy artwork you know through right. these ai models like it's so I think we're still trying to like figure all that out, but yeah. at the same notion, like I'm, I'm not like a Luddite by any sense. Like I think technology is really important and cool and actually could, could really help us grapple with a lot of the problems we have. But in the same token, I worry about the way that technology is integrated into our daily life and keeps us from being present, from being here now, from being able to tap into the wonder and mystery of of the natural world because we're so locked into our phones. We're so locked into the social media verse. And uh, so it's like, how are we going to handle the evolution of that? 
is another interesting thing I have. And I think the more, that's why I think the more technological we get, we need to balance that with more like material, like uh, practical experiences, like walking in, in, in nature, like going out and, you know, feeling the earth and the dirt on your skin, like, or uh, making art out of physical materials and in going and going to see art in person and right going to galleries and museums more as a way to counterbalance sort of the digital experience that we have with imagery it's we need that more than ever yeah oh absolutely i um at one of the schools i teach at recently changed their curriculum so that it's so much more digital and i've always taught in like the analog practices of, of drawing mm-hmm. even design before you get into the computers watercolor and i just like even in like the last three years it's i've been thinking a lot about it because i'm like these students this like may be their only few hours out of the day where they're disconnected from a machine right that's like a sacred space and i feel like super like you know honored to be able to hold that space but even then it's it's hard for them it's hard for me mm-hmm. i find myself scrolling getting into that world it's like wait what are you doing i and know I think, yeah, which is why it's also so exciting that this kind of like spiritual renaissance is happening too, because it's like we need it more than ever. Definitely. And we need ways, tools of going back inside. Mm-hmm. The yoga class is one of those things too, where it's like phones are left outside of the room. And it's like an hour, an hour and a half doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it's a huge deal. Like mm-hmm. when much we're spending on these machines and you know there's there's people too it's like we need to pay attention to the fact that there is a group of people that have a vested interest in us staying on those machines and continuing to look outwardly for the answers instead of inwardly Mm -hmm. yeah i mean we have some of the most the smartest engineers and psychologists and marketers all teaming up together to get you to be addicted to these things for the sake of uh profitability, you know, advertising really to get you to be a a consumer more and more and more. And so, yeah, it is a very uphill battle that we have to fight here. But I think that practices like the analog practices, like you're talking about like really painting, really drawing, really using materials, really building with your hands, those are going to be really important. And you can do both. It's not like you just have to do that. Like you can still do, you know, the 3D printing and the computer models and the and the computer coding, you can do all that too. That's great. But like, make sure we're balancing ourselves by being in touch with like real physical experiences and practical materials. The analog is so important. I used to teach a, um, um, an analog photography class before we had to get rid of a dark room that we were using. And my, the kids mind were just blown away when I was teaching them about black and white photography. Like they spent, they're like, Mr. Benson, Mr. Benson, like, he spent like, you know, three weeks making this one photo. Isn't this amazing? I'm like, yes, it's incredible. That's so cool. Yeah, because it's like they can make a photo in a split a second right now on their phone, but like mm-hmm. it gets them to slow down. Like I, that's why like I teach analog, I teach painting and drawing and printmaking and all these things because and I want the students to be able to have that experience at least once a day or, you know, like a few times a week, slowing down, working with their hands, working with materials, not looking into a screen. Um, Because I I just, I just think that's going to be increasingly more important. And you mentioned like the spiritual renaissance, like 
it is such a powerful time. It's, but we're also, it's such a contentious time. And I think that is part of like the fireworks of creation, yeah. right? Like think about, yeah. think about like a supernova, like it's not right. a peaceful, beautiful, like, you know, so, serene yeah. moment. It's a very explosive dynamic thing. And so I almost see what's happening collectively, culturally, um, as being an illustration of that. And so we have to be able to accept that reality that it's going to be a difficult road, but yeah. we do have these maps. We do have these traditions. We do have these practices. We do have this sort of lineage of, of creativity and art to help ground us and guide us and sort of help lead us along this really um, uncharted territory that we're going through. And, and that's why I look to artists like you and so many other artists out there who are exploring consciously their spirituality through art making, who are dedicated and devoted to like working with materials and kind of creating this expressive space where people might be able to have a gleam of an insight into what that is like to look within or to think about awe and mystery and majesty. Like this is a really important role that I think artists have to play in our culture. And so um, I see just so many artists who are thinking about these things that we're talking about today and are creating work in response to these practices or response to these ideas. And to me, that gives me so much hope and excitement because it's like, who knows where this thing could go? Me too, man. I wish I had this podcast when I was like in art school or high school. <laughs> it's like, but you know, my, my personal journey was to have to kind of like get there through a lot of suffering on my own to a place where it's like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make what I'm going to make, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. then to, to feel this through, I mean, even social media, like you said, it's like none of these like electronics tools are, are bad or good. It's not about the binary. It's about how we use them. Yes, definitely. And so I, I'm so grateful for Instagram and podcast in ways where it's like, I'm, I feel like I'm sort of finding my people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think that that is one of like the beauties of the internet and of social media is that you can cultivate um, community in a way that has never been cultivated before because community and, you know, historically is really based on like who you are in proximity to. But now like our community can expand the globe in yeah. terms of shared interests, uh, shared ideas and um and shared outcomes like the things that we all kind of in our hearts want to see happen which is more more beauty more love more equity more inclusion more connectivity more balance less you know what i mean like we Absolutely. i think we all I want mean, the same thing you know what strikes me is that like cuz people talk there's a lot of energy given to like the divisiveness that's happening now and it's there like of course it's happening but what strikes me <laughs> with all of this contact all uh content all these social media platforms podcasts is that we actually can't get enough of each other you know <laughs> it's like we're dying to connect with each other we listen yes. to, like we we want to connect with each other so much that we'll sit in our cars listening to people we don't know have conversations like <laughs> you know, we're on social media connecting and it's like that's actually kind of beautiful to me and it it's is. like I, this is, is happening but look at what's also happening exactly you know it's so it's so easy for media to be able to like funnel our experience of what the world is through these lenses of divisiveness because like when you look at like a media clip 
you could think that that's 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 representative of the whole world. Right. This this terrible experience, yeah. this terrible moment. But like there's if you really just look around, look around your neighborhood, look around your city, walk around and just look, you you're gonna see probably a lot of beautiful things all around you all the time. Yeah. And so we can't forget that because I think the media is so powerful that it can trick us to believing that every single experience on the earth is horrific and horrible and everyone is doomed. Right. And it's like, "Mm, that's not really actually what the reality is showing us if you're really paying attention. So we have to be very, very careful there, but I love what you're saying. Like we are dying to connect each other. We are social beings. Like this is part of our makeup. This is why humans are still here on this planet all these years later is because we need each other. We need each other to, to survive. Like we are here to help cultivate an environment where everybody can succeed in some way in terms of, in my mind, success is like happiness, well-being, and safety. Like we can, and, and having your needs met here, you know, like, and I think community is one of those basic needs. Yeah. It's one oh. of our basic needs. And uh, it's a loneliness epidemic out there. And I think uh, we have a lot of work to do to help bring people who are on the outs, on the outposts into the fray and back into the community or that sense of community. That's really what transforms society. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we're going in, in a lot of the kind of teachers I'm paying attention to right now. It's like the focus is community. It's like, mm-hmm. that's how going to get there now you know starting with the self being the change that you want to see and then also like connecting and creating a sense of community it's like that's how that yeah is not necessarily relying on the government to like change it for us it's like we have to start building the world that we want to see now yes always every day with our hundred percent i mean it's like all these little Throughout the day, we have a million choices that we make all day long. Yeah. Little mundane choices like, do I want water or do I want tea? Do I want, <laughs> am I ready for lunch now or am I not? You know, like all these little choices that we can make all day long. But like that is every choice we make builds up to like this bigger picture. And so if we can c- create sort of an environment and create a culture where people are making choices for well-being not only of themselves but of the whole like these little tiny choices that they make throughout the day if they're if they're bringing into their consciousness not only their own needs but the needs of the collective in some small simple way like that that creates such a huge impact and so that 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 sense of like belonging is so important like you are not alone like we are interrelated interdependent with the entirety of life and no one is separate from any of it And so I think that's part of what we do down here on planet earth is to figure out the language and figure out the ways in which the practices in which we can create deeper and deeper awareness of our own interconnected reality. And I think art does that. I think our culture does that through various ways, but also like just being present in the world does that just being here now, right? Like showing up. Yeah. Like that's really what's going to, going to do it. And it's not going to be one big thing that's going to change the world. It's going to be a lot of these little choices that we are all making. And so um, I think if we can become more and more conscious of those kinds of patterns of decisions that we make, then we can start making better decisions that will ultimately help not only ourselves, but everybody. Because when you help someone else, you're helping yourself because there is no separation on that fundamental 
level. Like I think about circling back to your artwork, right? Like the painting, like there's this structure, there's this web of interconnected life. And from that, there's individuation that sprouts from it, individual expressions, unique organic movements, but they're all still grounded in this inherent structure that can never be broken, never be separated. And so we have to own our individuality and enjoy it and express it and be in it, but not be attached to it to the point that we forget our interdependent nature with everyone else. And I think that's, that is the practice, whether it's art and just that's the practice of life is being able to bring those things together. And so I love being able to see the way you do it in your artwork. And I'm super excited to see where this new body of work goes. Um, so everybody out there, I'm going to have in the show notes, um, links to all of Katie's work, definitely give her a follow on Instagram and any other information uh, that you want me to put in the show notes, just let me know and I'll put it there. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mark. Uh, this has just been uh, such an exhilarating conversation. I Thank know. I feel you. like Thank we could keep going forever. We hit an hour yeah. and I feel like we're coming back into that point. You know, so I'm, yeah. And I think we're going to have to run it back. We're going to have to circle back and do part two at some point, yeah. because I think there's a lot for you and I to to continue to unpack and discuss. And in the meantime, I'm just really excited to see all the work that's going to be coming out of your studio. So keep, keep it up and keep doing Thank what you're you. doing. It's really, really impressive and really inspiring and beautiful. So Thank you likewise. Yeah. yeah. Thank Thanks you for, for your time. Yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll connect soon. All right, Katie. All right. Sounds good, Martin. All Thanks. right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Peace. Peace. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Concerning the Spiritual and Art. Um, If you like what you're listening to, please uh, leave a comment. uh, Give me a rating on whatever podcast platform you're you're tuning in on. And uh, help me get the word out. Share with any friends or family, anyone you think might be interested in uh, what I'm doing over here. Super excited to bring a lot more of this content to you. Sending lots of love out to each and every one of you. Peace, y'all.